Welcome to Royal C-Suite Truth, the ignition point for global impact and your compass for innovation. In this hive of game changers, we empower transformation, connecting one story at a time. So buckle up for a deep dive into the uh, realities of the C-Suite as we continue our journey together. So let's get started. Today, I'm very excited to introduce you to Todd Sullivan. How are you doing, Todd? And where are you calling in from? <laughs> Uh, you yeah, thank you for for having me. I am calling in from Michigan in the U.S. Wonderful! It's a pleasure having you on the show. Yeah, thanks. It, it's uh, I was excited when I got the invitation. Yay! <laughs> Let's do it. So Todd Sullivan has built and sold four companies. Today, as CEO of Exitwise, he's helping fellow business owners get smart about M&A and create the exits they deserve. And I think that mission to let Exitwise interview, hire, and manage your M&A dream team to create the exit you deserve. I think it's just remarkable. Again, very thankful I can talk to you today, Todd. <laughs> thank you, thank you. I, and I appreciate you calling it a mission. It very much, it very much is in the kind of second half of my career, um, having a company that is entirely mission-driven certainly uh, is, is incredibly motivating to help founders every day, uh, but presents you know, leadership challenges as well, which I think we'll, some of that we'll talk about. Absolutely. I, can, I definitely can, can sense the passion and the purpose behind that. <laughs> so, wonderful. So let's dive right in. So what inspired you to pursue a career in leadership and how did you make it into the C-suite? So I'm not sure that I uh, pursued a, a career in leadership, right? But what I did do is pursue an entrepreneurial career. Right. And, and that with that goes, um, you're going to end up hiring people and you're going to uh, end up leading. And, and in my case, trying to find other leaders that might be better than I am uh, to lead companies forward. So it very much was a pursuit of entrepreneurship and, and seeing that at a very young age in my family and having that be an acceptable career. Mm. Well, it's kind of like becoming a leader. So I think nobody, not many would just... Uh get out of the bed and say, well, I want to be a leader. So it's just kind of like, so where your passion drives you, what opportunities arise in front of you. And when we get into the things we just talked about, uh, passion and, and purpose. So what are the biggest challenges you face as this leader and how do you overcome them? In thinking about actually the, the first question a little bit, I think I was just inadvertently mm -hmm. thrown into quote leadership roles as you know, and as an athlete, mm -hmm. I was captain of my teams. Um, in school, I was elected president of my class. When I did not want to be, these were not um, things that I really aspired to. I didn't feel like I was a natural leader. But at th those ages, um, I think that in sports, people gravitate to talent, right? I want to be like the talent. And so somehow that puts you in a leadership position, whether you deserve it or want it. Um, and, then, and then in school, I think it is more about um, trust, right? This is a person that I like, I see myself as I am friends with, and maybe a little bit more of a popularity contest. Maybe in both cases, that's what it is. So um, for, for good or bad, I was thrust into those positions pretty early and probably gave me the confidence to become an entrepreneur when, mm -hmm. when school was all over. Was that time when you first realized that becoming a leader or that you're becoming a leader, essentially? Uh, no, I don't think there was uh, any point in time where I felt that. I always felt ill-equipped 
to be a leader, I always felt like I am not the <laughs> smartest one in the room and maybe the leader should be the smartest one. Um, I do mm-hmm. feel like in those rooms of very, very bright people, and I remember, just remember that in, in college, um, I always found myself to be the least threatening. So uh, you know, I certainly do not bring ego to conversations. And, and so for a lot of people, mm-hmm that disarms them, that brings them a comfort level. And, and I'm more of a collaborative teamwork person than I am, um, you know, the emperor of, of, you know, of the land. And, and so I think that that style tends to resonate with a certain group of people. Mm. So, and coming back to my, to my question. So what are in your position, kind of like the biggest challenges you face uh, in the position you hold? I think it is maintaining trust. So uh, in entrepreneurship, you know, as you know, you're building something new. You're looking for product market fit. And then if you're fortunate enough to get that, you're looking for the right unit economics. And if you're fortunate, uh, fortunate enough to get that, you're looking for scale. And in those efforts, it is pivot as, as maybe not as quickly as you can, but you are looking for data to recognize whether you are being successful or you are failing. And so when you're bringing people onto that mission, they are believing in you, your vision of the future. But what I find, and, and they trust you. What I find is that employees have a harder time with the constant shifting of mission to try to find success. And it is much easier for them to say, tell me what my job is and I will go do it and I will follow you up that hill. But as an entrepreneur, you run up a hill and you see nothing on the other side. And then you say, we're going to run up that hill and run up that hill and run up that hill. And I think it wears the trust down. Mm. So um, it's one thing to lead somebody that is a partner in it with you that is willing to run up as many hills and get shot on the other side and get back up and run up the next hill um, because they're an owner of the business. It's very different to bring, to lead an employee that way. And so I, I, mm. I struggle a little bit with um, if you don't find success quickly, um, leadership for, with employees, I, I think, is incredibly challenging. Mm. And, not that, and I don't really have solutions, frankly. Mm. So what do you feel are common mistakes kind of like when you're doing this, uh, running up the hill? So um, you must have encountered some, some uh, you made some mistakes. We all make mistakes, right? And so, for sure, for sure. So what are those common mistakes? And... How can you avoid them? Those that you experience, of course, maybe there are some others that are still coming up for you, but uh, for those that already passed, you passed. Yeah, I think, you know, we can all read business books and, and hear, like, get the right people on the bus, get them in the right seats. Um, for me, when you're starting a company, it is very hard to convince the best person in the world to be the chief marketing officer of your company to join a company that makes zero money and is likely to go out of business in six months. So you end up getting people that are not the stars and you have high expectations for those people. And, uh, and, and maybe they don't fulfill those expectations. So I think, I think the, the mistakes that I've made is not having the ability to bring in the best possible people and put them in the right seats and trying to get anyone that is willing to run up that hill for me and ask them to be in seats that they're not entirely equipped for. So I think um, what you have to be able to do 
is recognize when you're starting to have success, set the right expectations for people and, and tell them, you know, you might not be the chief marketing officer next year, right? You're in that role today, but just understand we could bring in somebody ab above mm -hmm. you. And that's a very hard thing to tell people. I think um, a lot of founders face that with chief technology officers. You're looking for anyone that can build a product. That does not mean that they are a CTO, but they often get called a CTO because they're the founding technical member of a team. So uh, those are the mistakes that I've made is putting people that are ill-equipped in kind of that, those top management positions and then struggling as an organization grows to say that person really needs to be replaced. Mm -hmm. and, and you get a lot of resistance around that. That's the expectation that, uh, you know, uh, always get disappointed first, right? So when you set up these... Yeah, these, yeah. I mean, yeah. I think, you know, I do a better job as a board member um, for companies to talk about, to talk to the C-suite, to let them know the different stages of companies, um, even in an, as an advisor, and that they need to be looking for their replacement. They're secure. They're their their the core intellectual property that they bring. Right, mm -hmm. um, the intellectual talent and understanding of the business will never go away. Mm -hmm. But there may be better executors of a particular role um, or manager of of a sales force, as an example. You might be a great salesperson, but you may, might not have, know how to lead a twenty five person sales team. And so, um, it, it, you work to upskill those people. But it is setting the expectation that. If this company is going to find real success, we have to have the best people in the mm. world running each division of the business. Understandable. So what is one valuable piece of advice you would give to other leaders looking to advance uh, their careers or getting on a path of, a, uh, of leadership? You know, honestly, I don't know. I've only had one real job. Um, well, yeah, I, I was a professional hockey player, so that's probably not a real job. Uh, but... <laughs> I did work in consulting um, as uh, a strategy consultant for technology companies. And, you know, I saw those leaders and um, boy, did they give everything to that job. And I do see them all fighting to try to get up that ladder. Uh, and so they, they really do understand how to play the game, what is meaningful to make, to get that promotion. Um, there seems to be a, a level of trust that they build. They know how to manage up as well as down. And so they build a level of trust that, you know, mm -hmm. if you were, if, if somebody above me gives me an opportunity, I will not let that, I will not be a failure to that person. I will not make that person mm -hmm. look bad. I will make that person look good. And so that's really my limited experience of watching it from the outside, people striving to be in that full leadership position, mm -hmm. is they make the people above them look really good. Mm. I think that's a great piece of advice and uh, observation as well. So when was the last time you had a breakthrough moment um, as a leader? And what did you learn from that experience? You know, I don't know if I call them breakthrough moments. But as I said at the beginning, as an entrepreneur, you are constantly shifting to find product market fit, the right the unit economics, and then scale. And so um, I have brought people in at salary levels that were just not sustainable. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we hope for the best. But I think that when you're hiring people that are entirely motivated by that paycheck, mm -hmm. um, and then you can't sustain that, right? So you have to make cuts. Everybody has to take a haircut. The person that was motivated by money and now completely demotivated 
on the mission of the business. Mm. So I, I, I think the learning from it for me is, yes, certainly salary is a component of what, you know, of, of, of employment. But finding somebody that believes in the mission of the business is so much more important mm. um, than the person that you can get for a certain price because they are willing to say, you know, the mission means something. I am willing to make a sacrifice if there's, if I see the reward on the other side and what we're doing uh, uh, is, is personally meaningful to me. I think that, that that's the learning for me is that I, I need to focus more on aligning mission than mm -hmm. compensation. I think it creates also that, uh, you know, kind of like that sense of like, so what can we optimize? What can we make better? Where can we uh, change something to achieve that mission if you're standing behind that mission? Is that also your experience? Yes. Uh, so certainly for me, right? It's constantly, we're trying to say, how do we make the M&A experience better for our fellow founders? Right, because today it is terrible. It is the worst part about building the business, and it is the the moment that we all kind of aspire to economically. We want the 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 thing that we built to live on, and we want the economic benefit of all the hard work. And yet, business owners go into that experience and fail seventy percent of the time to sell their business. To me, that is horrific. It's insulting. And we have a really good idea of why. So mm. every time we see something that isn't going well, we say, how do we improve it? Mm. And by the way, we have zero failures. So the typical investment bank fails 70% of the time. We are not an investment bank and we fail 0% of the time. So that is, that is absolutely our goal. And if we see a better way and more talent or um, a way to de-risk and increase value for founders, that is what we do all the time. When you have employees that are focused on commission only or their compensation only, you get very little kind of creativity or feedback around what is really going on in a transaction to be able to make it better. And so when you hire people that are mission driven, they're the ones that will say, I know we're on the mission mm -hmm. to create a better way to M&A for mm -hmm. business owners. And I think I see a way that we can get better ourselves. Those are the people that I want. Mm -hmm. I see. So what is one valuable free resource you would recommend for leaders looking to improve their skills and knowledge? Like I said, there's plenty of business books, right? I'm, I would recount ones that you probably talked about, you know, a hundred times. I am more about taking, uh, getting as many at-bats as I can. So this is my fifth company and I don't even call it a company. It, it really, it truly is a mission for, to improve entrepreneurship, the outcome of entrepreneurship. So my four other companies were taking, I was getting chances to swing the bat and I hit singles, doubles, triples. I was getting better. And so I know that I am a better builder of businesses, maybe not a better, better leader like you're focused on, but I'm way better today than I was 25 years ago. Mm -hmm. And it's because I've had multiple chances to make lots of mistakes, learn from those mistakes. And then, and presumably, um, I think from a leadership perspective, building, leaning on your network is incredibly powerful as a leader. Um, when you build that network and you're respected within that network, mm. you really can move mountains. Um, mm. So that, that, that for me, that is one, certainly one of the superpowers that I have developed over time. So not so much kind of reading material for me, 
Um, I certainly don't want to discount it, but it, it's getting mm. multiple opportunities to, to make mm. mistakes and improve. Well, I very much appreciate your, your open and honest uh, answering these questions, you know, and also uh, sharing these insights kind of like in, in kind of like some different uh, um, perspectives of leadership and what it, what it could mean. So because for aspiring um, leaders, you know, uh, this podcast is for, is kind of like, so to see kind of like what are the nuances here? And so we just really saw that uh, there is no straight way that you can follow uh, kind of like uh, your own path, career path to leadership and uh, success. So that's why I really liked that, uh, our conversation. And we're finally already coming to um, my final question for today. And it's a personal one. So when was the last time you experienced goosebumps with your family and why? Hmm, goosebumps with my family. Um... Well, I have a, a six-year-old, a four-year-old, and a two-year-old. And so whenever I tell so people that, <laughs> uh, uh, I tell people that, they all say, oh, you're in the thick of it. Um, but the goosebumps are when I walk into the home and you hear daddy and you hear the, the, the pattering of the feet running across, uh, across the room and you have three kids you know, fighting to get better position on who gets the best hug. Right. So that that's really kind of the the unbeatable uh, goosebump feeling for me. Wonderful. Well, thank you for sharing this beautiful goosebumps moment with us. Also, thank you, Todd, yeah. for our conversation. It was a pleasure talking to you and appreciate very much the knowledge and insights you share with us today. Uwe, thanks for the invitation. I really appreciate it. Thank you. It was my pleasure. Absolutely. Okay. It was. Thank you. Thank you for listening. And as always, energizing results for you and your loved ones. As we anchor another transformative episode, remember, if today's tales resonated, then that's your ripple moment calling. Let's amplify this impact. I invite you with all earnestness to rate and champion Roy C. Sweet Truth to a fellow pioneer, a visionary who craves this caliber of insights and transformation for a deeper plunge into the harmonious realms of business growth with home life motivation, set your course to royal.org and become part of our Ripple of Impact Alliance, where mere ripples evolve into formidable waves. Until our path intertwine again, remain that beacon, cherish the impact, and above all, revel in every step of your journey.